This episode is recorded in front of a live studio audience. You're listening to The Art of Comedy with Sandra Carusi on Peach Radio. Mark Breslin was born and raised in Toronto in 1952. He graduated York University Honours with a BA in English Literature in 74. After graduating, Breslin became the Director of Theatre and Music for the Harbourfront Corporation, which produced events and activities at numerous venues on Toronto's waterfront. In 1976, Breslin opened the first Yuck Yucks. Over the next decade, Yuck Yucks would expand to its present reach with over 15, 15 clubs. clubs, yeah. Fabulous. He's written four books. Five. Five? <laughs> Is it out? Yeah. Is it? Okay. The bio and, must be old. Yeah. Well, I tried. I pulled. There's the so bio, much on you. The bio can't keep up with me. That's the thing. <laughs> And produced TV programs like Late Night with Joan Rivers. Love that. Yuck Yucks, the TV show for CBC. Yeah. Mondo Taboo. Two pay-per-view. How do you keep track of all your stuff here? No, I use my bio. (laughs) The Yuck Yucks Great Canadian Laugh-Off, which is an annual TV special for the Comedy Network, which you also host. Yes. It's always nice to see you do comedy. Executive producer on Friday Night with Ralph Benmergi for CBC. I miss Ralph. He was awesome. And Yuck Yuck's 25th anniversary special for the Comedy Network. Um, story consultant for Kenny vs. Penny. That was on CBC. Loved it. Associate producer of Pedal Pushers on HGTV. Also, all the stuff you've done in radio. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, well, I was the first program director for XM uh, Comedy. Uh, yeah, Laugh Attack. Sorry, Laugh Attack, on XM, that's right. Right? Yeah. 1990, Breslin created first annual Search for Canada's Funniest New Comic. I was in it in 1993. Okay. Look at me now, interviewing like a big girl. 1998, chosen artistic director for Humber College Comedy Program. That's when it started in 98, right? Yes, yes. I want to talk about that a little later. And sits on the advisory board, chairman and producer in residence. He's founding board member of the Canadian Comedy Awards and comedy mentor for the BC Festival of Arts. It just keeps going. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just, and now you're doing a lot of public um, speaking uh, engagements, speaking engagements. Yeah. I, um, let's see. I just hosted a, um, I just hosted a charity event for 700 people last week for a disease I'd never even heard of, but it's some um, genetic neurological disease, which only attacks Ashkenazi Jews. Uromycetosis. No. Oh. It's something called like cap, cap, fat. I don't know what it was called, syndrome. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's very serious. Uh, the kids all die before they're four. Oh. But somehow this woman and her husband kept their kid alive and they celebrated his 18th birthday. Oh, he cannot see. He cannot walk. He cannot swallow. He can't do anything. But the one thing he can do is hear. And he's grown to love music. So what she did was she put on this amazing music concert with uh, 11 different bands and, and singers and uh, sold tickets for the cause. And I hosted it. So I'll still, do st- I'll still do stuff. I'm doing a TEDx talk. In oh. a couple of weeks, for get this, a thousand Catholic uh, students. <laughs> so the guy who's organizing it called me and said, "Look, we really want you. We really, really want you. But please, no gay marriage, no talk about uh, you know sexual molestation in the church." <laughs> I said, "Well, what? Else? I'm talking to Catholics. What else am I going to talk about?" Anyway, I, I won't. I'll shy away from those things. I can still be controversial without being controversial. Well, for sure. I want to um, welcome Mark Breslin, audience. We're going to open it up for questions later. And our co-host today is Jay Brown, one of Yuck Yuck's headliners. Jay, hey, hey, hey. that was the voice you heard pipe up. We're going to hear him. In the audience, we also have Lawrence Morgenstern, another famous headliner from Yuck Yucks. Give me a dirty look right now. I'm standing and acknowledging the crowd. Mark, 
Yeah. I want to learn a little bit about you because I did a, a lot of research and we don't really know. I want to talk about a little bit about your upbringing. Sure. You're born and raised here in Toronto. Yes. Family. How, how many All siblings? Right. All right. Here so here's the thing. <laughs> I was born to a father who was 53 and a mother who was 44, which puts me in a very different kind of category of, of a family unit. I had two sisters. They were 20 and 24 years older than me, mm-hmm. which means I operated basically under a triple eatable complex. <laughs> when my sisters would take me out, um, you know, in the stroller, um, everybody would think that I was their kid (laughs) until I finally internalized that fantasy. And I was certain when I was five or so that I was really my sister's child and that my mother was covering for her. (laughs) And this is how I grew up. Um, I grew up with an enormous amount of attention, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. And I think my interest in comedy and performance comes from the fact that I had all this attention when I was a little kid. Then I went out into the real world where nobody really cares what you do. And I longed for that attention. Mm -hmm. Listen to me, I would say. Listen to me, which is what many, many children say. But if you're a child of late parents, you say it even louder Mm -hmm. than anybody else. And when I found stand-up comedy and I found a microphone, a stage, and people in rapt attention, I thought, this reminds me of something. Oh yeah, when I was five. <laughs> so I had I had uh, an unusual family background. So, um, and so how many kids do you have? I have one child, but again, recapitulating the uh, obsessions of my parents, I didn't have my first child till I was 58 years old. Mm. He's now four. Do the math. Mm-hmm. 78. When I, if he's four now, yes. and I'm 63 now, yeah. um, he'll be 14, I'll be 73, which will make it difficult to throw the ball. Yeah. And when I'm 83, he'll be, 20, he'll be 24, which will be m- difficult for me to do anything but have him wipe the drool <laughs> off, the, off the chin. But, you know, Uncle Dirty, who's a comic from way back when in New York, said it best. He said, um, when I, if I ever have a kid, I want to have him so late in my life that um, – by the time he's old enough to hate me, I'll be dead. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Which I think is... So what if your son says, Papa, I want to be a comic? What well, if he says this to you? I doubt this will happen because comics are broken people. <laughs> and I'm bringing up my son with lots of attention and love. Yeah. And I have a feeling that won't be the first thing on his mind. Although even at four, he's telling me jokes. Because he's aware that somehow his father is involved in something that has to do with laughter and comedy. <laughs> he's not exactly sure what. I brought him to the club to show him what it is. But that didn't quite exactly register, but he knows comedy's important in our family. So he's starting to tell bad knock-knock jokes. <laughs> but if you're uh, giving him plenty of attention yes. now, when he goes into the real world and he doesn't get, as you said, as much attention, do you think that that will work his muscles for attention and he might even possibly, scream? You know? Possibly, but I will overcompensate and be there for him all the time <laughs> in a way that my father wasn't because that wasn't the style then. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, Um I take my. I, I spent a lot of time with my child, and I didn't think I would. By the way, I never wanted children. It just kind of mm. happened. It was almost an accident. You know, funny. My wife and I, two of the most controlling, control freak people around, left the most important possible decision in our lives to chance and nature. <laughs> Go figure that one out. But we kind of, we kind of let it happen. Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean. Yeah. If you know, I. I you just got married in 2010, right? Well, I got married when when she was pregnant, when my wife was pregnant, okay. because I fig I figured my child would already have enough reasons to be called a bastard. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to actually have to literalize it. Anyway, no. What happened was, um, 
we just quietly decided um, I would stop coming on her tits. Ah, <laughs> right? Wah. Quietly and, decided that. And then and then see what would happen. And save them. That's right. And see what would happen. And sure enough, within a couple of months, um, she got pregnant. And I knew she was pregnant the day after she got pregnant because we were in Mexico. Um, we'd had sex in the morning, and then we had scheduled a whale watching expedition in the afternoon. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever gone whale watching. Well, the, wh- the, the boats are small, and they go up and down on the waves, and you're really tossed about. So as she was being tossed about, she was being tossed about. Oh, my. Right? And I don't know if you're, you're aware of this also, but uh, in many primitive cultures, whales are symbols of fertility. So if you put this stuff together, and then she walks off the boat after a couple of hours and says, ah, I have a twinge. You know, I haven't been to the gynecologist in years. I should really go. And I knew then and there, that really? moment, that's it. She's pregnant. She's pregnant. This was is the best sperm, interview ever. It was a ever. sperm whale. It was a, it was a sperm, sperm whale. Sperm whale, yes. Wah, wah. That's all I got. I don't know how I didn't make it big. I would have, humpback is a funny one, too. Humpback. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll let you be the comics. You but sperm was good. Okay. I just wanted to say sperm. So, so um, I didn't really, you know, plan on it exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really want it. I don't, didn't need the responsibility. I didn't think I could bond with. Um, I'm such a verbal person, and I move so much from my intellect, not my heart, generally. That I thought this is not going to be good for me until a child turns eight or ten, and I can take him to movies. Mm-hmm. But we bonded immediately. And if anybody had ever, had ever said to me. One of the best relationships in your life, if not the best relationship in your life, is going to be with a little boy. I would have said, you're crazy. But it's not true. It's, it's, it's been fantastic. Kids it's already been, been on stage, too. At the, yes. Just at the Great Canadian Laugh-Off, right? Uh, no, Massey Hall. Oh, that's right. Your brother on stage at Massey Hall. Oh, right? New Year's? He was, yeah, he was born in November on New Year's. I brought him on stage as the New Year's baby. Beautiful. And um, he got paid $25. So he is the youngest person ever paid. <laughs> he got paid twenty five dollars. Hey, listen, he's the Great youngest write-off. person ever paid to be on, a, on the Massey Hall stage since its inception in eighteen seventy eight. Oh my! <laughs> That's great. The That's Toronto. So he's so cute. Um, first of all, he's totally blonde, unlike myself. Yeah, your wife's and beautiful. If um, if the Nazis ever come to Toronto, they knock on the door. <laughs> I send him to the door, <laughs> and he will say, oh my "Jews." God. I don't know any Jews. No Jews here. There are no Jews here. <laughs> and uh, they'll move on. Where did you meet your wife? At TIFF. Oh, did you? Yeah. What did a, she do for, like, what was, brought her there? Um, she was just there as a guest of somebody's, but um, at the time she was in the flower business. She had a flower shop. And then that morphed into uh, six years on Rich Bride, Poor Bride as a wed- playing a wedding planner. And then when she left the show, she became a wedding planner, which is what she does now. And it's a very good 21st century business because it's very, um, very internet-based. You don't have to just go to a store every day and wait for people to show up. So she can uh, be a mother and she can work. We have one in the audience here. Who's a wedding planner? I'll be right here. Wedding, luxury weddings. I do luxury weddings. I have a floral business and decor company. Oh, similar, yeah. yeah, yeah. Karina Lemke, right. if you know the name. No, I don't, but I'll look it yeah. up. We have more in their studio audience. We're going to open up for questions for Mark later on. We always have new people coming in. Because okay, great. Wife all so um, she's a wedding planner. She's working. What are you currently doing right now? How do you sp- spend your days? Well, um, I get up late, which is a habit I got into about 40 years ago, and I <laughs> intend not to change. Comics. Um, and... Um, 
I go to the office. I have office work to do, always a couple of hours a day. I have meetings. Meetings could be with comics, could be with business people. I have other projects on the go, too. I've got two movies in development, um, one of which is um, a biopic on myself, which has been optioned by Michael Hirsch's company, uh, and another one that is about stuff that happened to me when I was 12. I had a very eventful year. Um, that one's more fictionalized, but it's still real. It's still things that happened. But You want to tease us out on that? When I was 12, I was the youngest member of the Communist Party of Canada, and I did that to impress a girl in my class. Seriously? <laughs> Seriously. But that's just the tip of the iceberg of that year. That's all the, also the year my sister started getting sick with multiple sclerosis. Oh. That's also the year my father got cancer and had to sell his business. That's also the year that my best friend died in a uh, fire, a tent fire. So wow. you think all that was a catalyst to getting into comedy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pretty Real much. It's pretty simplified stuff. there. That's, that's a right? well, full he, plate. Sorry. I never thought about comedy until I was already working for Harborfront. It never crossed my mind. Really? A career in show business never crossed my mind until I was... 21. What did you think you were going to be at 12? Mm -hmm. At 12, I did. I, I couldn't tell you, but I, I had a very good interest in politics, law, teaching, advertising, anything that's good with words. Yeah. Well, you're the most diplomatic person I know. Well, I was not always diplomatic, but I could have used the words in another way. Right. <laughs> right? Back in the 70s, of course, you started Yuck Yucks, and in one of your earlier interviews, you said you did it in response to what was going on, the activity in the 60s, and there was a lot of people who wanted to speak. And of course, comedy is a form of social commentary. And it was some, your response to it was when you opened your first yuck. All of that is true, but it's just as true that I wanted to meet girls, play early 20s, and have a place right. of my own where no one could tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. That was always a big deal. Mm -hmm. I never liked being told what to do. So um, there were a lot of reasons why this all seemed great. And it never was, the idea was never that this was what I was going to do for the rest of my life. This is what I was going to do for a year or two until I found a real job. I didn't know that I was about to surf. Um, a great change in show business and that comedy, the kind I liked, was going to become, you know, mainstream in mm -hmm. a sense. But when I started it, believe me, it was far from mainstream. The social media now, social commentary occurs on social media. How do you think, does that, has that impacted your clubs at all and how, what forward motion do you see in stand-up comedy well, live? Um, that's a very long and difficult question. Um, certainly the internet has affected has affected what we do, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes in a bad way. One of the things, the bad things the internet has done is it's created a cult of free. That um, there's a whole generation or a couple of generations that are born now um, assuming that entertainment should be free mm -hmm. or just about free. Mm -hmm. And so they'll go to some little horrible hole in the wall, open mic night, uh, and watch an evening of comedy in the worst possible circumstances. And then you'd say to them, but you know, you want to see it done right, you want to see it with better people, it's over at Yuck Yucks, it's 20 bucks. And they'll say, you know what? For the difference between zero and $20, I can handle the, le the less I exciting show for nothing. Mm -hmm. And that's really affecting us. That's, of course, how the music business is dying and the film business yeah. is about to die and the TV business is kind of dying. So... All of that is, is affected by the internet. Now, on the other hand, social media has created um, demand for individual comics in a way that did not exist 10 years mm. ago or even five years ago. This is both bad and good. It's bad because there's no mm. such thing now as an outsider artist. Everybody has a following of eight people. <laughs> so everybody thinks that they, they have something to bring to the game, even if they really don't. Uh, but it's good in that it's created a lot of 
middle ground stars, people like Ari Shafir, mm -hmm. for instance, you know, who can sell out a club um, just on the basis of his name and the basis of his Twitter feed, um, 300 people, and make a really good living doing that night after night after night, town after town after town. Ten years ago, that wasn't the case. You were either nobody working for a salary at a comedy club or you were selling out the Sony Center. Mm -hmm. Nothing in between. The Internet has created an in-between economic base, and mm -hmm. that's probably a good thing. Mm -hmm. And how, um, Jay, did you want to contribute? I'm so fascinated by what I'm hearing. I, I'm As soon mm -hmm. as I have a question, I, he's okay. answering everything in yeah. my head. Lawrence? Uh, that's because I read minds. <laughs> I just wanted to add the one thing that annoys me about what Mark said is uh, nobody wants to pay for content, but they'll pay through the nose for content providers. Interesting. You know what I mean? They'll no. Pay, uh, you want to elaborate any, on that? Well, they don't question their phone bill. Their, their oh, I see. Like Rogers, well, yeah. Know, I see. We're used to being and, and held hostage pay, by them, I think. buy a smartphone every three months. You're right. But they don't want to pay for any of the stuff that they stream. Right. You're right. You're right. But I they're am. being raised like that, right? Yeah. Like that's what they're born into, that whole millennials. That's all they know. They've never known to actually pay for entertainment, like Mark said. So it was a brilliant uh, observation. And as you know, a lot of the stuff on the internet is found humor. You know, cats falling into things. Yeah, memes. And Fail. You know, yeah, epic fa fails, epic fails and, all that. and all that kind of thing. Right. I'm not sure that that gets in the way of people actually spending money to go out and see a real comic. But it does set a certain um, lackadaisical and lazy tone for comedy mm -hmm. that is not great. In radio, we say, and my background's in radio, and, and when people say, well, satellite's going to replace terrestrial radio, and all these things are going to replace, well, our response to that is people will always want a live person to talk to them. And I think the joy of live comedy is having a person in front of you um, and having, you know, the intimacy of, of somebody making you laugh in person, right? Yeah, there's other things, too. I mean, having worked in satellite radio quite a bit uh, at its inception, um, it it its limitation is that it's not local mm -hmm. and that's important i think in in radio mm -hmm. is that you're talking about a restaurant that everybody could drive to mm -hmm. and you can't do that in satellite radio mm -hmm. it's um, kind of coming from nowhere but and then it, how do you explain the success of syndicated radio programs like uh, coast to coast am <laughs> like jay's they, favorite show my favorite show they do it from the philippines or from the mountains of nevada or whatever but no i'm not saying there aren't good shows on that, uh, that don't follow this model but one of the things that is limited that people really like is to know that the gardener is closed on mm -hmm. uh, right. yes. the next two hours, right. and that's really important. Yeah, and so I'm relating that to live <clears throat> comedy, for example, that live person. Maybe it's not about traffic reports, but I think there's value in going to see live comedy as an entertainment um, choice. Well, I think our culture is spinning off in two centrifugal directions. One is mega global um, you know, uh, around the world things that are happening, uh, global branding global shows mm -hmm. and the other is very 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 small 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 thing same thing has happened with with restaurants in toronto mm -hmm. every restaurant that's open in toronto in the last three years has 30 seats those those restaurants that have you know uh, you mm -hmm. know 200 300 400 seats they're a thing of the past mm -hmm. no one's opening those anymore Right. Well, it's a similar thing that's happening with culture. Everything's going to be about 30 seats. Everything's going to be about your basement. Interesting. So it's micronized. Yes, yeah. everything's becoming micronized and globalized at the same time. Our question was, uh, we were talking about actually your vision moving forward, and I think you pretty well answered that. Um, knowing of where comedy was back when you started, and where do you see it moving forward well, in the country? If I really knew that the answer to that mm. question, I would not 
tell you. <laughs> I'd hoard it for myself and make millions. Right. But nobody knows the future. Mm-hmm. And your clubs, how are they doing overall? They're doing great. Mm-hmm. Um, we're about to open number 16 in Victoria, B.C. Lovely. Which we've wanted to open for a long time. Beautiful town. Yeah, beautiful town. Yeah. Uh, great demographics. Uh, gives the guys from Vancouver another place to play, which they desperately need. Mm-hmm. Because if you take a look at the map yeah. of B.C., there's one one big, big city, and then a whole bunch of places that have 80,000 uh, people, and you can't put a full nightclub in an 80,000 seat uh, in 80,000 population town mm-hmm. so you need three what is that number 300,000 300,000 would survive yeah mm-hmm. I would say with good management 300,000 would survive with good rent you know all those sorts of things mm-hmm. yeah you can make it work but 80,000 is never going to work you're in most major markets in Canada which market is the best for comedy? well Toronto I mean yeah take a look at the map mm-hmm. every it's like a big sort of V yeah. everything falls into the center, which is Toronto. Mm-hmm. Toronto has the media. Toronto has the population. What, 400, sorry, 4 million people mm-hmm. in the GTA. GTA. And 4 million surrounding it that's in a southern lot Ontario. Of, that's a yeah. lot of people. Yeah, that's a whole different market when we look at surrounding the GTA, too. Yeah, but we have clubs in a lot yeah, of those places. London Kitchener. Yeah. So you think Toronto, the Richmond Street, are we talking? Yeah, that's, yeah. The, cl- that's the classic. The flagship, that's the yeah. flagship. Right. Um, the, the setup of the club itself, mm-hmm. uh, in the interview with Jay, and, and I think Lawrence mentioned too, you deliberately, when you set them up, you make sure everybody's really close and tight. It's womb-like when you mm-hmm. go in there. Yeah. Um, purpose? Laugh and the world laughs with you. Mm-hmm. Um, laughter is like kindling. The closer mm-hmm. you put people together, the more chance there's going to be of a bonfire. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing you want is a club with big, big, um, comfortable, tufted um, seats that uh, revolve and that you lay back in and you're just so darn comfortable you forget to laugh. Is you that want- why the chairs are like that? Yes, deliberately. Because I'm like like 17 feet tall. So for me, sitting in those chairs, I always wondered because they're wrecked back, yep. right? And you want everybody alert and, and ready to laugh. It's the same reason that Letterman always kept his um, ah, you know, uh, studio, studio cooled cool. to something like, what, 61 degrees or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the seating in our studio right now is comfortable. Everybody's half asleep and that would be the worst. That would be the worst seating for a comedy club imaginable. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's asleep. And you should have tables. Do you want to have a place to put a drink? Right. That's important, Mm -hmm. and it makes it feel like a cabaret. Mm -hmm. A cabaret has a certain kind of um, feel to it Mm -hmm. that we like. Right. All there's never we've never had theater seating in any of our clubs. We don't like that. Right, because it doesn't lend itself for the laughter. It feels like they are up. They are completely up there, and you're completely down mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. With tables and chairs and drinks and food, there is a bit of an osmotic zone to make the uh, customer feel like they're a bit of a part of the show. Right, that's yeah. part of the thrill of a, going to a stand-up comedy show. Is unlike Hamlet, they ask you how how you are. They ask you mm-hmm. uh, if you have a, if you're having a birthday. If, mm-hmm. Is that really your wife? You know, yeah. so um, if you go to a, a regular play, you never get that. So yeah, we there's encourage a slight people. possibility of a threat that the comic yeah. could come into the crowd yes. and single you out. Like if if you have theater seating, that stage is like holy ground. Yes, it doesn't break, it doesn't come in. But in a club setting, the way you had them set up, there's that it's a gray area. What's right? nice about it is I, I go to com- yuck yucks by myself. I've gone to see all these guys by you, myself. You're the one. I'm the <laughs> one. I'm the weirdo. Okay. So stage right near the... But today there was an article in the Star about the value of going out alone yeah. mm-hmm. and the things that you can do, right, Christine? Mm-hmm. 
And they were saying, you know, even in a restaurant where you might be a little embarrassed reading, it's it's totally cool. And they want to start this more as a, a social acceptance. Maybe different from a, for a woman than a man, by the way. What, going out alone? It's worse yeah. for a woman That's to go out I alone. That's what I meant. Yeah. yeah. Oh, except me. I could give a shit. But but, but generally, generally, <laughs> totally I think it's care. more difficult. It's more of yes. a social oh, taboo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, I'll go to a movie alone. My wife will never go to a movie alone. Yeah. She just won't do it. Mm-hmm. And I say, but honey, it's in the dark. No one sees mm-hmm. you anyway. What's the difference? Right. No. And we're in a very isolated celebration of self. Everybody's very like silos in this culture. Yes, now. but it's deceptive because people go out in groups more than ever. Interesting. So we're all alone together. Because <laughs> they've all read Anne Rand. Right. Oh, or, my. <laughs> or they've bought that Dave Mason's right. uh, album. Of course, of course you do. Dave Why? Mason had, a, had an album called Alone Together. <laughs> I remember Anne Rand. 71. Um, 72. Sure. Your comic inspiration back then. Woody yeah. Allen. Woody Allen. Woody Allen. Um, there was a little movie house on Avenue Road in the basement of some place. It only held maybe 50 seats. And just after Woody Allen put out like his like Annie Hall and Bananas and everything, the first four or five movies, they did a kind of uh, a retrospective. So I went every night and caught up on all these films, and I was blown away, and I said, that's what's missing. That's what's been missing from my life. I was vaguely aware of him, but I was not aware of him like this. And, you know, then I got into Mel Brooks, and then I got into the Marx Brothers. I was never a guy who got into TV in a big way. Mm. I'm a film guy. I like a film. What's your favorite film? Oh, that's an impossible question. I know. Right. Sorry. What genre? Comedies? Dramas? Thriller? Dramas of some sort. I mean, mm-hmm. I've seen I've seen more movies than just about anybody. I, I figure I've seen ten thousand movies. That, wow, that's your thing. And I used to uh, until recently. I was the reviewer for Metro mm. um, every Friday with mm-hmm. Richard Krauss, but then they changed the the idea of the column. But um, I've always been into film, so that's how I've always entered. Like I never watched Monty Python's um, mm. TV show ever, but I watched all their films. That's how I got to know Monty Python. Mm-hmm. I've always gotten to know things through film. Fascinating. And then so TV. Is that I how watched, you create? Yeah. I watched all the classic sitcoms as I was growing right. up when I was, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11, Beverly Hillbillies. Three's and, Company? Uh, that's a bit later. That's, yeah, 80s. That's a bit 80s, later. Yeah. That's the late, late 70s, 70s and early 80s. By the late 70s, I was no longer watching television at all. It was a real bad period for, for TV. Oh, hot tub orgies for you by that point, eh? Let me think. No, that was more <laughs> 82, 83, 84, 85, 86, 87, 88, 89, All right, 90, all right. 92, I'll read it on your wiki 96, page. 97, 98, 99, yeah. 2000, geez. 2001, 2002, I was sick. <laughs> 2003, <laughs> For a I went back. All uh, right. 2004. Okay, you get the point. Well, I want to talk about that because when I brought it up with other comics, I got shut down. Let's talk because I went, um, Hot Docs Festival had mm-hmm. uh, Three Still Standing. Which I is- know, and Will Durst is an old friend of mine. Oh, okay. And in fact, I talked to him when he was in town. I yes. was looking after my little boy, so I couldn't go down and see him. But um, Will Durst is great. Yeah, he was featured with Johnny Steele yeah, and, and Bubbles. And I knew Bubbles and I booked Bubbles as well okay. in the old days. Right. So th- there's a lot exposed in that because mm-hmm. they were talking about the San Francisco Bay Area and right. the hotbed of comedy, which was about the time that you opened Yuck Yucks here. Uh, it was a little afterwards. Okay. I opened in 76. That hot time in uh, San Francisco was about 80. Mm-hmm. And, so, and then they said cable came in and that's what killed live comedy for them 
Hmm. Not so much here. The improv, the evening at the improv cable? What do you mean? Uh, No, cable television. Yeah. Well, just as were, an entertainment choice, right? Right. The live. Um, there was a dip in co- in in live going out to live comedy in general around the uh, early eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, business was not good at that time. Mm-hmm. I think what had happened was, um, it got to a, a certain. Um, the first three or four years of the comedy clubs attracted people who were really into comedy, and then they kind of got tired of it. And then it took a while longer, another four or five years, for the general public to really think of it as a, an entertainment choice. It came alive again around 85. That's when I started expanding. Mm-hmm. That's but, when you started airing commercials, too, in 85, wasn't it? 85, 86? Advertising? Because commercials on the TV, people coming out of the yeah. yuck yucks. Yep. It was great. It was, it was, yep. That's mm-hmm. when I got it. I was yeah. like, I got to yeah. go see this. Yeah, it's true. But the, the, the years between 80 and 85 were a dead zone. Mm-hmm. Everywhere. Lawrence, not just when San did you start? When did you first uh, yuck yucks? September of '78. Wow. He was young, I know. He was 16 years old. Straight to roster. Right. Straight 18. to roster. 16, One amateur 18, night. 18. <laughs> what was it like? Do you remember? What was it like? The audience was alive and participatory. Yeah, and it was very interesting because uh, Yucks yeah, didn't yeah, have a liquor like license either. It was a new thing. It was Yorkville. And it yeah, was like Bay Street location. Such an event every night. Wednesdays were an event, you know? I mean, it was packed every night. And uh, if it went well, it went great. And mm-hmm. Sometimes it didn't. I started really good. I was I hit the ground running, and I was like a real, had a real sophomore jinx. About a month or two in, I went through a period where I couldn't get a laugh, and it was really frustrating. And I didn't know what was wrong. Mark, Zen mind, beginner's mind. They always say. I think people um, are very naive when they get up right out in the beginning, and that works for them. They don't know what they're supposed to be what they're supposed to be doing right, right and they mm-hmm. don't know what they're supposed to be doing wrong. Right. But Lawrence sells himself short a bit. He's being a bit mock humble. There are a few people, not a lot, that are just naturals. Mm-hmm. Um, Lawrence was one of them. It just right. Away. No, Lawrence was one of them. It was, it was just the right thing for him to do with we, his life. We all and learned. It, we all learned from watching Lawrence, yeah. like uh, all the big guys too. That. Went what on not to, to do as well as what to do. <laughs> no, I, everybody that I know, Brent Butt, Mike McDonald, Norm McDonald. They all cite they, Lawrence as the guy? It, it's not even, well, Brent does. Brent Butt, for sure. Brent Butt used to live on my couch for three months, and every night he would do Lawrence's bits at, at you know as we were like getting ready to and go to Brent, bed. And Brent, of course, corner gas. And I'd be on the floor. Oh, that Brent and his pillow talk. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be on the floor, and then I'd go. I'd meet Lawrence, and I and I I found that I was doing these mannerisms that Brent had introduced to me, like the laser smack. You know, mm-hmm. and everybody who knows Lawrence knows what I'm talking about. And the first time after. I did it to Lawrence, he's like, "What are you doing? That's me. What are you doing me to me for?" Mark, how did you manage comics? Like, I mean, I try to do interviews with them, and you know, Wait a they're minute. great. Is that what he? <laughs> I mean, that in a positive light right but there's a lot of personality there's a lot of opinions there's a lot going yeah, on well i have i have opinions too mm-hmm. um i have personality too so um you know i i understand where they're coming from mm-hmm. i was always the guy on stage as often as they were that gave me some credibility so if i said something maybe people listened mm-hmm. mark's always been good cop to the comics yeah and jeff's always been bad cop if you want to go that way mm-hmm. but not even he's not even a bad cop either no no, I'm just saying there's, yeah. you know, I, I always had, if I did if you don't have a great deal of compassion towards the mm-hmm. people you work with, right. then why are you working with them? Right. Why are you doing that job? You should be doing a different job. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, even after all this time, after 40 years, no, I enjoy spending time with the comics. Yeah. You're very protective of them. 
Yeah, because I'm I'm very protective of the art form. Also, not very many people in our culture think of comedy as art. Right. And that was something that I changed. I like to think. Yes. Um, is getting people to understand that it's it's actually literature. It's right. spoken literature. It's oral literature. But it is literature. Mm-hmm. And what is a, a joke except an exceptionally short story? Mm-hmm. It has a beginning. It has a middle. It has an end. Except this alt comedy. What do you think of this? We talk about this often. This new form. Well, these kids, I'm telling you, they don't know what they're doing. (laughs) Um, A lot of what passes as alt-comedy isn't really alt-comedy. You want to talk about alt-comedy, I think Terry Clement is an alt-comic. You want to talk about alt-comedy, I think that Aaron Berg is an alt-comic. I think there's a uh, Darren Frost is an Mm alt-comic. I don't think that a guy with a beard um, who's uh, in a a Madras shirt uh, Mm -hmm. staring at his sandals Mm -hmm. and mumbling his act to the first row is Mm alt-comedy. That's just a lack of showmanship. Mm. I like to and, call that alternative to comedy. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> it's funny. In 2010, you talked about, uh, you were asked who the up-and-comer was. You mentioned Aaron Berg. Yes. And he's now in New York? Yep. And I think he's two casting decisions away from becoming famous. Okay. And what what struck you about him? What made... Well, first of all, he was a... Jewish guy um, talking bodybuild a Jewish bodybuilder yummy um, talking about um, sex who had been a gigolo um, but with a philosophy degree mm-hmm. all right already I'm interested this mm-hmm. is That's taking, hot I'm this hot. is taking yeah. me back to people like Norman Mailer you know wow. who are, and the people who are the post-war Jewish novelists um, right after World War II are actually the people that I relate to most in like life and art mm-hmm. um, and they were they were uh, intellectual. But they were macho at the same time. They weren't mm. afraid of their body. They weren't afraid of their sexual urges. I mean, you read Richler, you read uh, Philip Roth, mm. you read Norman Mailer, and you get the setting for what becomes stand- modern stand-up comedy. And the people who are doing stand-up comedy now may not even have heard of these people. But their work has influenced the culture to the point where it does influence what they can and can't do on a stage. Mm-hmm. So when I saw Aaron, I went, oh, wow, this is, you know, Bill Stryan. Wow, this is Philip Roth. This mm-hmm. is Mordecai Richler, mm-hmm. and I loved what he did. And who, and who besides him now, do you see uh, as a comic that we should look out for? Well, it contradicts what I just said, but um, some of the newer guys that I really like are Mike Rita. Mm-hmm. I like uh, Daryl Orr. Mm-hmm. I think is fantastic. Keith Pedro is terrific. Mm-hmm. You got some names? Uh, no, I like Daryl Orr too. Um, uh, Sean Emini. Yeah, Sean Emini. They're like mm-hmm. uh, d- really mousy, kind of soft, uh, mm-hmm. more introspective kind of comics. Like, I'm just trying to explain the juxtaposition from what you just yeah. said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't like just one thing. If mm-hmm. I did, I, w- I wouldn't be able to be in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, what I don't like is I don't like the trivia. I don't like trivial. Yeah, pettiness. Like com- you've been I don't quoted, like, you don't like that. Yeah. I don't like comics who are doing trivial material. Like I mean, what? What's, what's an example? Oh, they make fun of their name. Uh, or yeah, that's you know, basic. Yeah, it's like not intelligent. Just yeah, stuff that uh, mm-hmm. who cares? Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't like bathroom humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like sex humor, mm-hmm. but I don't like bathroom humor. I try to explain the difference to yeah. amateur comics all the time. Mm-hmm. Why pooping is not the same as screwing? Right. It's a difference. <laughs> or you're it doing can it be for some, some of us. us. <laughs> I was going to say. Oh, oh, all hey. at the same time. Who got to it first? Oh. Who got to it first? In the movie, in Three Still Standing, they talk about uh, bathroom humor. Will Durst talks about it and, and how it's tough for him and the other guys who want to pride themselves on better humor, more intelligent humor. But now, to get an audience, you have to go back to that. Well, um, what say you? It's too bad. Yes, that you it do. is. Um, I mean, my little kid loves bathroom humor. Yeah, he should. He's, He's four. four. Right. But sometime around the time you're 
you know, 16, <laughs> you should start <laughs> thinking uh, something a little more sophisticated, that's all. Will you comic, but do you get involved with comics? Will you co- say, like, listen, can yes. you drop that? Yes, I just yeah. did this on Friday night. Three, I just did this like three, four nights ago with a comic who was showcasing for me, um, who's on our roster, but he's not doing well, and I never get good reports. And I said, got to do a showcase for me. Goes up, he does 10 minutes, and it's poop, poop. Yeah. Poop, poopy doop. And I said, you know, listen, it's possible the audience will will laugh at this. Mm-hmm. But what are you going to take this to? What are you right. going to do this in a festival? You can do this just for laughs? Are you going to do this on Conan? Mm-hmm. I generally recommend that people don't do anything they can't do on Conan. Brilliant. That's kind of the benchmark. Mm-hmm. Um, Is you that know, your favorite late night host? No, I actually prefer Kimmel. Okay, yeah. But um, uh, but I just use that as a, as a benchmark. Yeah, right. Uh, because it's pretty wide, the stuff mm-hmm. you can do um, on a show like that. It's not The Tonight Show, which is much more conservative. But mm-hmm. um, but it, you're not going to get away with doing poop jokes on, on Conan. It's just ne- will never happen. Yeah. will just never happen. Just yeah. for laughs, we'll never hire you mm-hmm. if you're doing poop jokes. Sex jokes, maybe. Mm-hmm. But not poop jokes. Yeah. And it's good to maintain the integrity of the craft, I think, for all involved. Uh, well, I just want to add that uh, I... I agree, but I also slightly disagree because it's all about uh, what you say and when you say it. So to be constantly poop jokes, yes, of course, it's going to just wear the audience down. But uh, see, I, 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 you mentioned Monty Python earlier. I think they have the best philosophy. One minute, it's the most brilliant thing, uh, you know, like the philosopher's soccer game. And then the next, it's, you know, the guys eating beans and vomiting. Yeah. Um, so... There's a time and a place for everything, and sometimes a, uh, a poop joke can be very well. Crafted. There's some well, making sure. and, and Lawrence, I, I did my share of poop jokes, yeah. mm-hmm. but I like to think they were very sophisticated poop yeah, jokes. It's, if right. it's, it's possible, uh, I believe that comedy, like like a good steak, is marble. There's meat, and then there's the little <laughs> fat, and then mm-hmm. there's the gristle, and then you know. But um, but a guy who showcases for me shouldn't yes. do seven minutes of nonstop bathroom humor off the mm-hmm. top, right. right? And it should it should also okay. be the kind of thing. Cause, and I and I agree with what you say about Conan. All and I will just add that it's because Conan and the audience, his audience, are very hip. So you could actually get away with a well worded, subversive, subtly, you know, like uh, worded in such a way that there's no offensive words, no obscene words, mm-hmm. no uh, blacklisted words, and and get a laugh. Well, here's the thing I talk about with the comics. Um, you alienate part, and like as a woman, I'm a comic, and I get it. And I, but I just don't like poop jokes, and I don't know a lot of women who do. So why take the risk of alienating half your audience? Mm-hmm. I don't get that. Well, uh, because they have nothing else to talk right. about. It's primal. They don't have. But li- from a business perspective, a lot of comics just don't have lives. Right. You know, gar- <laughs> they, what they, about what you know, right? Yeah, well, garbage, you know what they say about computers, garbage in, garbage out. Right. And if you just have a life where it's you know, it's just garbage that's coming into your mind every day, then that's probably what's going to go out. Listen, I remember the very first tour we went on uh, way back in 1979. There were seven comics, and during the day we had nothing to do. And I remember how hard it was in Winnipeg to try to get everybody to go with me to the Winnipeg Art Gallery. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> and they didn't. I went alone. It's our, yeah, right there. So um, the roster. Yes. Wh- speaking, have you had to remove people from the roster? It's very hard to get into the roster and very hard to get out of it. Yuck Yucks is kind of like a government job. <laughs> <laughs> what are the qualifications to get in? Mm. You have to be funny. You have to be well. You have to be funny. You have to be original, funny in an original way. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to have a sense of character. 
that goes along with the material, unless the material is so brilliant that you could write it down and people would laugh at it reading it. Mm-hmm. And a person like that would be Stephen Wright. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. But uh, they're so few and far between. Um, you work a long time to get on the roster. You, generally now, you don't. we don't see you once and then just throw you on. It's a period of maybe three to four years of watching you mm-hmm. and watching you grow. We have to believe that you're going to grow into something. So it's not a snapshot. It's a still from a movie. Hmm. And we think we can see where the rest of the movie goes. It's uh, it's it's a geometric line, not an arithmetic line. So we do all those things. And then we look for things like, what kind of a person is this going to be to work with? Are they going to fight us? Hmm. Are they going to be able to listen to reason? Are they going to trash a hotel room? Are they going to hmm. show up on time? Are they on heavy drugs? Are they not on heavy drugs? Well, they, are they on <laughs> heavy drugs and they won't <laughs> share? <laughs> you know, all, all these kinds of things yeah. sort, of, sort of fall in. Yeah. Are they loyal? That's really important to us. Are we going to build right. them up in the marketplace only to have them leave us for a competitor? We don't want that. So all of those things kind of fit in. Do they and have how do you take them off? What do they have to do? It's very rare. Okay. It's so rare. People kind of take themselves off when they don't get booked as much, when they mm. decide they're going to have a fight with us. But more likely, oh, that felt good. But more <laughs> likely, see, I will do that kind of joke. Uh, but more likely, uh, they'll get their green card and go to the States. Mm-hmm. It's more likely, likely that they will leave by going up, making a vertical move. Right. And then they'll be welcome when they want to come back and they run out of money which people do from time to time. You know, there's lots more money at the top if you move to the United States, but there's less money at the bottom. Mm. So a lot of people move out, they move to the States, they don't have enough of a grub stake, and, you know, 18 months later, they look at their bank account, they've got nothing. So Mm. they call me up and they go, I need a tour. And I go, okay, let's fit it in. So in your umpteen years of all the Yuck Yucks comics on your roster who's like your f- I know we have two sitting here let's pretend they're not impossible here. won't do it right. can't tell you which of my babies, you know, yeah. babies I love, I love the most money? <laughs> <laughs> here's a topic very few I have a question yeah in what you're at the club every Friday night pretty much I try uh, to make Friday night my wow. night <clears throat> there you go sir club what are comics doing now that you see as a fatal flaw or a mistake or even just a, a smidge in the in the makeup, you know, that you wish they wouldn't do and how could you amend it? Well, I think people are generally playing for lower stakes than they, they could. Right, a lower common denominator? No, lower stakes. I mean hmm. that somewhere in their lives there is much better and more interesting material, but they're afraid to go after it. And, uh, you know... The best advice you can ever give an artist of any kind is simply two words. Be yourself. Dig deeper. Dig deeper, okay. Hmm. Just dig deeper. And if I have any complaint, people just don't dig deep enough. Mm -hmm. That's a good answer. Because, you know, um, everybody is... I like to talk about so many things that I'm always afraid. That's why I want to do radio. Because you can sort of talk about it without worrying about... It would take Lawrence to turn this, you know panel discussion into a job uh. <laughs> <laughs> hey I'm digging Thanks. deeper you just said to, dig deeper but you know what radio is so easy compared to stand up comedy because you have to hear the results I'm when you're st- right in stand up uh, going in that in a, I know exactly what you're talking about so film movies stand up you've done it all I'm, What's very, most of- I'm very lucky in that because I've chosen a genre to work in rather than a medium mm. I get to work in all the different media mm. in that genre so mm. I've been involved in book publish uh, writing writing and book publishing film 
television, radio, radio yeah. education through mm-hmm. Humber. Mm-hmm. Um, that Humber project is, you know, takes an awful lot of my time and, and energy and thought. So I, I'm very lucky it doesn't get too boring. And performance. What do you tell the students at Humber the number one takeaway they have when they leave leave the program? Mm, dig deeper. Dig deeper. Yeah. It's always about dig deeper. Well, I'm going to have on my tombstone. <laughs> it's like going to say, like dig deeper. Say, <laughs> like when they say, Mr. Burson, I can't really afford this tuition. Dig deeper. So are they going to bury you like 12 feet under? Is that? I'm hoping. You got to do it. Dig deeper. 12 feet. Dig deeper. Let's get a little serious if we can on a couple of issues because okay. we have comics here. Sure. Bill C-51. Yes. The anti-terror terror legislation that came into effect because of the violent activities in Ottawa in October. And our government wants to push it through quickly to protect us. And what it does is giving CSIS and other federal agencies more access to our information. And ultimately, some say affects freedom of speech. And some comics have gone on record very concerned about this. And I know you're very a big advocate of obviously freedom of speech, and you allow your comics to have that in your clubs. How do you see, if you do, Bill C-51 affecting comedy world i don't okay i don't like bill c51 but i don't think it has what are the parameters of it because i i I can't make the connection how is it going? oh i guess if somebody got up on stage and started saying things like uh uh bomb bomb the the prime minister and things Mm -hmm. like that as a a piece of satire that the rcmp or ceases could come after them uh, that shows a lack of understanding of what comics really do no, I don't like the I don't like this bill, and I think it's firing off a cannon to kill a bug. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I believe in old-fashioned infiltration. Um, <laughs> I think is probably that, that's the Kadar thing. You know, do they let them out? Do they not let them out? I say, mm-hmm. let them out follow and them. follow them. Mm-hmm. Exactly like what they did the in proper Texas. way. Sorry, what they did in Texas: have the uh, Muhammad drawing contest and then be ready for an attack. It was <laughs> right. All the Muhammad drawings, the cartoon, yeah. yeah. And right. they shot the guy. Draw them out. And how many times do you think, you know, you, a couple the, more of those, how many more Charlie Hebdo attacks are going to No, that, 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 that thing is, that, that bill is completely unnecessary. But I really don't think it's going to have much of an effect on comedy, comedy clubs. Yeah. First of all, I don't think there's that many comics doing heavily, you know, satirical thing at, things anyway. Mm-hmm. Was the bill written for that or is it written for no. somebody else and somebody's worried that that's it right. might spill over? Yes, that's right. What is right. the initial... Uh, or, or, what is the purpose of the bill? What is it they're actually seeking to help prevent or monitor? Terrorists in right, our but, midst. But uh, ha! in the media? They've never or? even come to my house. <laughs> <laughs> Fools. So it's really just another chip uh, in the wall of yeah. our personal freedoms. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't like it, but I don't see it as a as a threat. By the way, whatever happened to that guy in B.C.? Guy Earl. Yeah. yeah. That was the next. The, the, He's in Halifax. He lost the thing? He lost it, he and then lost, what happened? He had to pay, uh, I think it was 20000 and the BARP had to pay 5000 uh, Louis C.K. made a donation to him, gave him two grand. I think someone else gave him a couple of grand. Mm-hmm. And he lives in Halifax. He's a physicist, can't get a job anywhere, because as soon as someone Googles his name, right. all that crap So quickly, out. what happened on stage? He went on stage. He, was, he went on stage quickly. at a one-nighter. and uh, wasn't a comedy club. It wasn't right. a comedy club. It was a little restaurant on commercial Mark Ave, said that. And there was, uh, they were closing the patio, so there was these, it's a high, highly LGBT mm-hmm. uh, neighborhood. And a, a couple of lesbians were on the patio. They didn't want to leave the patio. They came in begrudgingly because they had to close the patio. And they decided, well, you know, sit in the front row and let's just heckle. get some attention. Right. They didn't heckle. They just started making out because they were 
they were they sat in the front row and made a spectacle. They pulled focus, and he didn't know how to deal with it, so he started to insult them. And because then they, he's an amateur comic and mm-hmm. he's not good at it, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he was sued. Well, uh, they they dumped beer on him twice, mm-hmm. and then he grabbed uh, their uh, one girl's sunglasses. She stood in front of him and flexed him, which is like, what you want to go like to mm-hmm. to this comic as he got off stage. So he just pulled her glasses off her head and broke them in half and threw them. Which is what I think muddles it, because had there been no physical contact between the two, he would have easily, everybody would have been on his side saying, uh, there wouldn't have even been an issue. Nobody would have. The, well, everybody should be on well, his side, Well, the period. judge, There's... Judge Breslin says, buy her a new pair of sunglasses, right. and the, <laughs> that's it's it. the end. But instead, $139, right. it's over. It goes to the Human Rights Tribunal, which is a kangaroo bullshit. Yeah. It's uh, the guy with a laptop on a desk. But apparently the LGBT community is chastising her because she's bringing forth mm-hmm. a mo- that... That sort of detracts from real cases. It's you know? a trivial case. It is. If I was him, I'd sue the, the establishment for not having a But a But the word was that that would get in the way of any free speech in B.C. on a, on a stage. Mm-hmm. Has it? Has anything yeah. come of it? Well, Jay, for, him, well for him, look at him. He's been ruined yeah. because he wasn't allowed to speak or, mm-hmm. or do what he says. But has and, there been another case? Okay, so I'll wait for the moment when somebody has a problem with me and I say something and they just arbitrarily sue just, me. We just want to know if that's the precedent. Just no. Just want to know. Okay. Because nobody has the unmitigated gall like the, the claimant in that case yeah, I don't to think do that. Any lawsuit where it's all just upset about something someone said will ever survive. Mark, are, are you shocked by this? Because this has never happened in your clubs before. Oh, yes, it has. Has it? Okay. Yeah. And to what extent? What, what was said? It, We've it been, integrates w- into something physical. We, we, ac- we actually were sued by, so we were taken to court by somebody, uh, a woman who was very upset that the comic uh, made fun of how fat she was. And it Holy actually fuck it, was she fat though, boy. She was, she was huge. so obese. Fuck. Your Honor, when she <laughs> sat around the court, she sat around the court. How big was the settlement? Uh, yeah. So um, yeah, she you took won it, right? Yeah. She took us to court, and you know she made her case, and the judge said, "Well, I'm sorry, but you yeah. went to a comedy club, and mm-hmm. and that's what happened. And yes, it's." tasteless and uh but it's not illegal yeah. and so she said you mean i can go to a place and a person can stand on stage and call me fat <laughs> and the judge said i'm afraid so mm-hmm. and that was the, that was the end and what was the holocaust uh, the one comedian who made some holocaust jokes and some jews in the audience do i remember this? this i don't remember this well i don't want wow. to say his name he, we were talking about him earlier and you defended him Two Jews who were upset. Was it Aaron Berg? No. Okay. Well, do you want me to say it? Yeah, sure. Boyd, remember? When Boyd, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, Boyd you Banks? Don't remember that? No, I don't remember is the case. Is Boyd Jewish? I think it was no. a Jewish okay. function. No, Boyd is the opposite of Jewish. <laughs> Which when is? You go, when you go on Wikipedia, there's a picture of him. It says, Jewish. It says, this is not a Jew. Okay, so uh, Boyd Banks. Don't you remember? The, no, but I remembered Boyd getting drunk in a hotel room and making uh, and drawing swastikas on the wall oh, of the God. hotel. Which no. he had to, we, they made him scrub it off yeah. and made him apologize. Mm-hmm. I do remember. And yet Boyd says he's not an anti-Semite. No, I don't He did it for the shits and giggles. Yeah, no, I mean, um, it was a Jewish function, some kind of all-Jewish I crap. don't remember. How can you not remember? It was a huge deal. Well, you, you know, Lawrence, I'm too Boyd busy to remembering law. important things. Right. Not Boyd Banks' career. <laughs> Which now he's a butcher. But I think that's a, one of the biggest examples of you really going out on a limb. You were like... Risking alienating yourself in the Jewish community, you stood up. You said, "Listen, I mean, it's, I'm not defending." If what there's a community I'd like to alienate myself from, <laughs> well, it's the choose, Jewish community because I know them well enough day. to. You must be their patron. I don't want to say saint, but patron guy. 
You're no. the guy. You're no. one of the guys. No. Do Jews have saints? No, they don't. No, that's why I didn't. Uh, no, but, but let me tell you a story. Very early on in my career when I was up on stage and I was making fun of Jews mercilessly as part of my shtick, I got a letter from the B'nai B'rith asking oh, me boy. to cease and desist. They, then the, the gist of the letter said something like, so many people hate us, why would you give them an excuse? I would have just responded, look, I make fun of non-Jews as well. Yes, I did. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone yeah. equally, right? Yeah. Uh, finally, uh, questions from the audience for Mark Breslin. James. I have a question. Um, Loud. So, question is, you know, you're on the internet a lot these days, and there used to be so much negativity towards comics. Um, I'll give you an example. Comics or comments? Com comments made by comics. Oh, okay, yeah. I'll give you an example. There was a lot of stuff on the internet about comments, jokes that Kevin Hart made mm -hmm. at the Justin Bieber roast. Right. My whole thing was, right. you know, if you're offended by jokes at a roast, mm -hmm. it's just like being offended yeah. by nudity watching an adult movie. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> do you find that this is impeding almost comics' ability to say what they want for fear of reprisals on the internet or the community as a whole? Because it seems now people are looking more for a reason to be offended yeah. by mm. things and not so much be entertained by things. All Mark? Right. Well, okay, if I were somebody who was on the internet a lot and I'm not, I'm merely a lurker and people did that, I would have a, what I call a fuck off button. <laughs> and it's simply <laughs> a, a button I would push on my computer that would just say fuck off right. to all of them because ultimately what right. do I care what other people think? Right. It's completely irrelevant. And I'm going to tell you a story about that. Um, long ago, when right at the beginning of Yuck Yucks, um, people came to the club. They didn't know what they were expecting in 1978, 1979. Mm. I guess they thought they were going to see Red Skelton. Um, and they <laughs> would walk out. A third of the audience would walk out. And not only did they walk out, they walked out in a huff. Mm -hmm. They walked out screaming at the stage. They often walked out <laughs> screaming at the stage while I was on it, mm. doing my completely offensive act. Oh my. I used to get rid of them as they would walk out by saying, yeah, well, who do you think you are? Go back to your stupid lives and your, your, <laughs> your, your picket fence in Oakville. Let me tell you something. And I would take out my wallet and I would take out a stack of bills and I would wave it at them as they were leaving. And I would say, the Jew has your money. <laughs> and then everyone would chant. I'd get everyone in the audience to chant who would stay going, the Jew has your money. The Jew has your money. Now, inevitably, a week later, I would get a letter because no one would believe that <laughs> the actual... Our, our headquarters were firebombs. <laughs> I, would, I would get a letter. And the letter would be from the people who would, had left and were chased out with the Jew has your money. And it would st start saying, um, uh, Dear sir, I can't tell you how upset I was. I went to your um, uh, establishment and I was completely offended by the material. Uh, I am a, we, are, we are a Christian family and blah, blah. And the MC uh, was completely rude to us and insulted our Lord. Uh, you must do something about that. Not realizing I was the guy. <laughs> so um, what do you intend to do about this? And I had a stamp made, this happened so often. I had a stamp made up about two by two, two and a half by two inches. And the stamp said in bold block letters, eat shit and die. <laughs> and then in cursive script, the Yuck Yucks management. Oh. And I would take that letter, I would stamp it, eat shit and die. <laughs> I would put it back in the envelope and I would mail it back to the people who sent it. Done. Beautiful. Done. Figuring those people are never coming back anyway. What are they going to do? Tell their friends? But I knew that I'd be able to be on this particular, what's the name of the show? Art of Comedy. I'd be on Art of Comedy 
35, 40 years later, <laughs> and I'd have a great story to tell. <laughs> and in the end, in your life, that is all you can do right. is have a great story to tell. When you're on your deathbed, yeah. you know what, how they say your life flashes before your eyes? Mm -hmm. You know what it is? It's your, your real. It's basically your reel that you've put together over a wow. lifetime. And these are the best moments and they're flashing by and they're going by. And you want to have a really good reel because the last thing you want to do just before you die is be bored by your own life. <laughs> <laughs> what a great way. What a great out to the... There's a great po uh, point in there that uh, uh, philosophy that he has. And he's, I've learned it a long time ago. If people get up and walk out during your show, it's almost better because they'll go uh, in a huff and they'll tell... 40 people, mm -hmm. oh my God, I was so offended when I went to Yuck Yucks. And if 20 of those people go, hey, I got to go check out this Yuck Yucks, mm -hmm. you know, and as opposed to people who had a good time and they'll forget about it 20 minutes later. Or people remember that, which irritates them. Monty Python's box office got a huge uh, shot in the arm from all the uh, uh, protests on the life of Brian. Right. Yeah, the worst oh, the thing best. for any artist is irrelevance, is, mm -hmm. the, is the reaction of irrelevance. Right. Not only that, but on the internet... Going back to the question, it's like I just read on the scroll, the crawl here that uh, apparently they were criticizing Jamie Foxx's yes. rendition of the, anth the national anthem at the, at the fight. At the fight. Um, all of that stuff, it's like it's like a lighting a fart. It comes and goes within within a day. That's you know, true. If there's no merit to it. I mean, if somebody does, you know, like when you have an athlete caught on camera beating his wife, I mean, uh, uh, when an issue gets raised. That's a sitcom it has to be in development, with, right? right. Mm. But yeah. when it's like something someone says, you know, uh, Brent Piaskowski keeps getting in trouble, you know. I know. He, you know, for, yeah, that, I mean, uh, the, if I could say one piece of advice to people on the Internet, don't text every you know, you can. There's a reason why we have internal models. Oh yeah, that's right. true, Lawrence. That's gone now, though. He's time. avoided Facebook too. He's not on I'm Facebook. I know. I know. He has a flip phone, for God's sake. I'm only on to lurk. So I never post. A... I posted when I got married. I posted when I had my child. Right. That's it. But that's it. It's a busy. So I'm so constantly page, fighting. I'm constantly. I have a page, but it doesn't do anything on the internet. I oh, with respond. people. Yeah. I'm on for Twitter only because uh, Glenn made me go on to enter that CBC contest. Right. All right. No I've, staff I've meeting here. No staff it. meeting. I've already got like 14 Mark? Phones. Yes. Uh, we can look forward to your films, two films coming out. Well, when are they? Who knows if they come out? I only said they were in development. Ah, Remember, it took it. Warren Beatty 10 years to make shampoo, and he's Warren Beatty. Right. So let's see what happens. You're Mark Breslin. Sounds good. Right? I'd rather be Warren Beatty. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much this was a pleasure uh, guest host Jay Brown thank you and Lawrence Morgenstern do you guys have any final thoughts no for your boss the boss man thank no. you for everything you do Mark Resnick oh, yeah, you're welcome and for giving an, an opportunity for all comics including myself to um, to do what we love so much you, you've given breath to the well, craft well that sounds like boilerplate but I'll accept yeah, it yeah I'm you. looking for roster position because yeah. this is those who can't interview thank you so much Mark Breslin thank you Art of Comedy, I'm Sandra Carusi. And here we roll the credits. This week's guest is Canada's comedy pioneer, Mark Breslin. Guest co-hosts Jay Brown and Lawrence Morgenstern. And your host, Sandra Carusi. Research assistant, Dayton going to be a star hail. Contributor, Christine Radio Star Cardoso. Studio producer, Adam No Pants Zizzo. Executive producer, Vince Leave the Gun and Take the Cannoli Negro.